Tonight's scripture is the third chapter of Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have, would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Most of the modern novels and biographies that that I've read lately uh, have adopted the practice of skipping around a lot chronologically, going from here to there. Uh, none that I know of does what Matthew does and what the other gospel writers do, and that is go from uh, Jesus' birth uh, to his public ministry and skip 30 years. But that is what they all do. Uh, They don't tend to say anything about the hidden years. Uh, They don't tend to talk about that very much. They go right into his public ministry. And that's where we are in Matthew chapter 3. We are in the chilly, muddy waters of the Jordan River, the same spot where the children of Israel passed over and moved into the Promised Land many years earlier. And uh, a prophet named John the Baptist, or literally it's the baptizer, the one who baptizes, is standing in the water and he is bringing a very hard, very strong word to the children of Israel that are coming down the dusty roads that lead out of Jerusalem down into the desert. And 
John is really the last Old Testament prophet, and he essentially is saying what all the Old Testament prophets say, except with one difference. He is saying that the kingdom of God is coming, that God is going to do something new, that the Messiah is going to come and bring in a new spiritual reign, uh, even a physical reign on the earth, and that you need to change your life and get ready for that. All the Old Testament prophets said that. What's different is that John the Baptist says, and it's now. He's here. And you need to be ready for him. So that's his message to the, to the crowds. Matthew reminds us that uh, Isaiah had prophesied that the last thing that would happen before the chapter turns, before uh, the, the, the Messiah comes, is that this prophet like Elijah would, would come and prepare the way of the Lord. And that's exactly who John the Baptist is. He dresses like Elijah. He wears a garment of camel's hair, a leather belt. He has an ascetic diet. The people would have known immediately. He wouldn't have looked strange to them. They would have known exactly what the uniform meant. It meant he was a prophet. And they respond to him like a prophet, and and they begin to to, to rush, it seems, out of Jerusalem down to uh, the Jordan. The Jordan is much thinner than the Tennessee. Uh, It's shallow. It's muddy. It's sort of unimpressive. Uh, when tourists go over there, uh, the banks are, are kind of muddy and reedy. And, and what appears to happen is that all these penitents, probably wearing penitential garments or robes, uh, are streaming down the dusty roads and then lining up along the side of the Jordan as John steps back into the water, which about up to here, and, and he's preaching to them and calling them to repent. And they step into the water one by one, and, and he baptizes them. Now, in between baptisms, uh, he, he, and there could have been hundreds, if not thousands, of penitents standing on the shore. In between the baptisms, as John will preach perhaps a little bit, baptize a little bit, uh, he looks up on the shore and he sees some men in particular colored tunics that identify them as religious leaders. And, and, and I don't know how this worked. I imagine some poor guy getting about ready to be baptized, and that's kind of a nervous time anyway, and it's kind of cold and chilly maybe. And John just says, hold on a second. And then thunders away at these poor guys on the bank, uh, telling them uh, that, that they're vipers, little teeny snakes, that they're, they're fleeing from a forest fire of God's wrath, that they're wrong to think that they're right with God because they're children of Abraham, uh, that God is coming uh, like a a woodsman with an axe, and he's going to go into their their forest and chop down all the dead wood. And then he goes back to baptizing again. (laughs) Just kind of an aside there. He wants to to get that in. And, And then he says, I'm baptizing you with water for repentance. He says, okay, here's, here's what's happening right now. This is, a, this is a Jewish baptism. You're going to come into the water. I'm going to baptize you for repentance. But, 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 someone is coming. And he's going to do a new thing. 
He is going to baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. John's saying that his baptism will be radically different from the baptism of Jesus. And what he's pointing to is the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And the primary difference is the Holy Spirit. Under the Old Covenant, God's people didn't know the Holy Spirit in a personal way. Uh, He would settle upon kings, perhaps, or prophets, perhaps, or, or work a miracle. Under the New Covenant, John is saying... There is going to be a baptism of the Holy Spirit. They are going to be indwelt, immersed in, filled by the Holy Spirit. And they're going to relate to God, to the Holy Spirit, in an entirely different way. And so what what is happening here in in Matthew 3 is the, the hinge of redemptive history. Everything is changing right now, forever. This is the fall of the Berlin Wall. This is, uh, you name it. This is the marking point in redemptive history when you go from the old to the new. John, the final prophet of the Old Covenant, is introducing to the world Jesus, the divine prophet of the New Covenant. Now, the scriptures call the Old Covenant the law, Because the Old Covenant was a law-based approach to spirituality. It essentially was what John the Baptist is saying. And and essentially what he's saying, for all the right reasons, and appropriate to his time in redemptive history, is try harder. Get it right. You know the law. Keep it. And if you don't keep it, the woodman is coming and chopping you down. That's a law-based spirituality. That's the law. The Old Covenant is about obeying God's standards as best you can. The Old Testament is external, written on tablets of stone. Jesus is initiating a new covenant. He's saying, now I'm going to put my spirit into your heart. Now, Jesus will will contrast the two covenants. He'll he'll say that the old covenant of John is like an old wineskin. The new covenant is like new wine. Paul will will come along and he'll talk about the difference. He'll say, I'm a minister of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The writer uh, of the book of Hebrews will, will call the new covenant a better covenant than the law because it brings a better hope. So you see the difference? This is is, uh, what what John is doing. He is, is saying, I'm at the end of an era. I'm pointing to the one who's going to bring in a new age of the Spirit. One writer puts it like this. He says, the old covenant is man demonstrating what he can do for God. The new covenant is God demonstrating what He can do for and through man. 
True obedience, he says, is not gritting our teeth and doing the right thing. True obedience is cooperating with the breaking forth of Christ's life from within. You see the difference? It's an entirely different way to think about spirituality. One is external. One is John the Baptist. One is do it right. The new covenant is internal. It's Jesus. It's spirit. It's releasing Christ. Through you. Another writer put it like this. The old covenant way of spirituality is do what is right. Do what the Bible says. The new covenant way of spirituality is release what is good. It's true that I I am still clothed in sin. I struggle with sin. I always will. But in the new covenant, something has fundamentally changed within me. I am no longer primarily a sinful man. I am primarily filled with God's Spirit. And so the way you approach spiritual growth with me now is you encourage me to release the Spirit of Christ within me. You don't just tell me, we'll try harder next time and I'll hold you accountable. That's Old Covenant. I had breakfast with a friend this week and just a couple things I was discouraged about and I was struggling with and I was talking to him at the end of the time. He said, you know, you, Doug, you've just spent a, a, a half an hour talking about all the things you've done wrong. And those are wrong. That's a struggle. I get that. But let's talk about building on what God is doing in you. See, that's a new covenant approach to a spiritual conversation. He didn't say... Okay, I'm going to hold you accountable. Now, I'm not against being held accountable. But if that's the best you've got, try harder and I'll hold you accountable. You're living under the old covenant. With John the Baptist. Now, most of you know that I've been around a while that I'm very technologically challenged Uh, Today, a button popped up as I was writing my sermon, and it said it was time to update or upgrade or something. I don't know. And I ignored it like I always do. And eventually what will happen is my computer will slow, and then it will crash, and I'll go into the Genius Bar. They know me well by now. And and he will say, "Uh, sir, you can't ignore those upgrades. (laughs) Uh, because when you forget to upgrade your operating system, uh, eventually things slow down and crash. And what I think happens with many of us, it does in my life, is the same thing. John the Baptist is Covenant (laughs) 1.0. John the Baptist comes to give an update warning. He is saying, okay, this operating system worked well for a while, but it's about to go out, and you need to change, repent, and download this new operating system, or you're going to be out of luck. Jesus' covenant 2.0. We can only keep living under covenant 1.0 for so long before the system slows down or crashes. 
And so some of us need to go to the Genius Bar and upgrade. Now, John calls this upgrade the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the distinctive mark of Covenant 2.0. Now, what happens when a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, we're about to see. Because Jesus, who will baptize us in the Spirit, is first himself baptized by the Spirit. Jesus is a model of our own baptism in the Spirit that happens when we come to Christ. Now, imagine this scene. This has to be one of the oddest scenes in the whole Bible. John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, is standing in the river, hundreds of penitents in penitential garb lined up to come down to get baptized by him. They're confessing their sins, and he's looking up. He's probably tired. He's looking up. He's looking up. And then he looks up, and he sees the Son of God in a line of 200 repentant sinners. And he's just... Totally confused. So he says, uh, no, 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 Jesus, you need to baptize me. I am not baptizing you. And Jesus says, no, John, in fact, this is to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, this is part of God's plan. How could it be part of God's plan? Because Jesus is beginning at this moment the road to Calvary. He is beginning his identification with sinners. He is showing his solidarity with the sinful human race. This is the ultimate depths to which he could go except for the cross. He is standing in line with sinners and sharing in their baptism. And he will end his life between two thieves. That's why Jesus is baptized. And when he goes under the water, this is what happens. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So Jesus, the prophet who inaugurates the age of the Spirit, is baptized by the Spirit himself. And three things happen when Jesus is baptized by the Holy Spirit. The first thing is that the Spirit of God rests on him. Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit. He is filled by the Holy Spirit as he prepares to begin his public ministry. So the first thing that happens in Jesus' baptism is filling. He, He receives the Spirit in a new way. Now the second thing that happens in Jesus' baptism is the heavens open and the Father's voice says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is my priceless Son with whom I am delighted. Now this is the second thing that happens in His baptism. The first is He receives the Holy Spirit He's anointed by the Holy Spirit. The second is he's named as God's beloved son. He's marked 
as a priceless son. And I think there's two things there. One is, God wants all Israel to know, this is the guy. This is it. He's the one. He's my son. This is the Messiah. Just like the prophet said, this one. I also think, and what I'm going to say now, I can't prove, but, but I, I just think it's true. I think he knew Jesus needed to hear it. Jesus in his humanness, somehow beginning this three-year journey, needed to know how beloved he was. And what I've always loved about this is this, if this, if this were the way we think about Christianity, it would have come on Easter. Jesus, you did it! You did it! You finished! And because you finished, I love you so much! I'm so proud of what you accomplished! This is my beloved son, everybody! See what he did? That's how we do it. We do that at graduation. We do that at retirement. We do that when you write the book. We do that when you get the promotion. That's when we throw parties. This is my kid. He got into MBA program. Way to go, son. God throws the party before he's done anything. Isn't that a different way to think about it? He names him as his beloved son. And then third, we didn't read this because it's actually in the first verse of chapter 4, when all this has happened, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So in Jesus' baptism in the Spirit, he is filled with the Spirit. He is named as the Beloved. And then he is sent on his mission. He is filled, named, and sent. Now, I believe, and the church for the most part has believed for 2,000 years, that one of the reasons Matthew tells this story is to show us what happens when we are baptized in the Spirit. And if you study the New Testament, which we're going to do next week, when we are baptized in the Spirit, and I'm using the term in the broad sense of when we're joined by faith into Christ, when we become one with Christ, when when we convert, when that happens, we are filled with the Spirit, we are named as His Beloved, And we are empowered with a new mission. We're given a new name, a new identity, and a new mission. And those are the resources of the new covenant. And next week, we're going to take a deeper look at each one of those. Let's pray.